To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. It sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new podcast for you. So today I have one of my all-time favorites, uh, my buddy Dan Picar. So he's my bow hunting brother over there at Eastman's. The guy is just so proficient with a bow in his hands. Uh, he's he's always getting it done, and um, I, I just love getting together with him and having conversations and in-depth conversations about bow hunting and about theories. and And so today is a great one. So. There's multiple different ways to kill a bull, and and these different ways, they all work. But over the years, I've adopted this these techniques and these strategies for hunting elk. And and so, you know, I just wanted to go into it. Dan's kind of adopted the same strategies, or maybe a, they differ here and there, but kind of the, the same tactics that I use, you know, to, to be silent and to spot and stalk these bulls, uh, to cut them off, to coyote the herd, to know when to move in. And so today we just break it all down on the podcast. So it's a great one, highly informative, all about elk hunting. Oh, and there is a little bear hunting in the beginning. I touched bases with him and, um, he had just finished up his bear hunt. And so he had a wild encounter with his bear and Dan's a great storyteller too. So, uh, I, I asked him to tell me the story of his bear and his bear season. And so we kind of go through that first, but then from there on out, it's all elk. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. I know I did and, uh, we'll get right into, it. I just want to thank my sponsors real quick. So I want to thank sportsman's warehouse. Um, sportsman's warehouse is a great company. It, it's so advantageous for a hunter to be able to go into a store touch and feel and try on clothing to be able to look through the glass to be able to see and hold you know the the whatever the bow the rifle and then they get the right people in the right places and so they've got a knowledgeable staff that's passionate about the outdoors and they've got one in every department from bow to rifle you know all the way through they try to staff the right people for the right jobs and I always mention my my good buddy Chase uh, he's up in the Fairbanks store up there and I just know how hard they're always working to make their store the absolute best. So if you need any gear this season, especially as you're traveling to these hunts, last minute items, uh, make sure to Google where a sportsman's warehouse is. They're close and, uh, stop by and get what you need. And thanks to them for sponsoring the podcast. I also want to thank Taito Knives, uh, just the best ultra sharp, lightweight knife on the market. Uh, I absolutely love these things. So, um, yeah, I just love the replaceable blade. I love how razor sharp it is. And so as this conversation's all about elk, like I can process an elk, you know, one to two blades, usually a couple on an elk, their hide is so thick, but it, it just keeps that razor sharp edge on your knife. And I used to have to pack knives and sharpeners and not anymore. Now it's just ounces to take in, you know, brand new blades and the knife in there to process your game. So I absolutely love them. I use them all the time. They have some new products on the market. If you prefer a stiffer, harder blade for some of the the tougher jobs in there, whether it's getting the hip bone, whether it's getting the head off, uh, they do make a an ultra sharp uh, solid blade knife that's a great one. So uh, make sure to check them out. And thanks again to them for, for all their uh, support on the podcast, Taito Knives. Okay, 
over there at Eastman's. Yeah, we're all getting really excited for our hunts, and we got just a bunch of really good content to release to you guys, a bunch of good podcasts, and I'm always working on the the next guest and the next recording and uh, trying to get you guys out the best content I can. Um, also, Dan Picard, he, he takes the head on the Beyond the Grid. Well, it's him and Guy Eastman and the rest of the staff, but Dan really does a lot for Beyond the Grid. He does... A lot of episodes. He, he's got some amazing footage. Uh, make sure to just search on uh, YouTube Beyond the Grid and you can watch some of Dan's hunts on there. And then we've got a bunch of good hunts coming up on Beyond the Grid. So I'll be sure to let you know what they are and when they're coming out. Uh, but check that out. Dan does a good job. And check out his social media too. Um, he runs the Beyond the Grid page there and uh, just releases some great content. So check him out there. And with that, let's get this podcast rolling. So uh, bears real quick and then everything else. (laughs) So uh, enjoy. Morning, Brian. Hey, good morning, Dan. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Good. Um, Man, that car is sure looking nice, huh? Yeah, yeah. Plugging away on her. She's coming along pretty pretty good. Just have to... Put the fenders on and a few details, and it'll be pretty much wrapped up. Right on. How many man hours you figure you got into that car? <laughs> Way too many. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's, probably it's, 400 or so. Man, that's crazy. Well, it's looking really sharp. It'd be fun to cruise it around this summer if you get it all done, huh? Yeah, yeah. No, hopefully I'll be uh, driving around by August and and pretty much done there'll be some details still left to do but yeah for sure i'll i'll be driving it in august that's the goal well you'll be driving it to elk camp then <laughs> there we go <laughs> <Now we're talking>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um well good uh well thanks for being on this morning i wanted to get into talking elk hunting kind of our style of elk hunting there's so much information out there in calling and i know you call a little bit as well in thicker cover, and, and we'll kind of get into it this morning. But first, I got to hear about this bear that you closed out on, on the end of the season. Um, <laughs> what a great bear, man. He looked like he had a giant pumpkin head on him, and I think you said he was an older bear, huh? Yeah, the the warden said that he thought he was at least 15. And, uh, yeah, his teeth were all worn down and a really nice hide, but his, his meat was kind of dilapidated. He was pretty skinny. Uh, I don't know, just from wintertime, I guess. And, um, man, the hair was really nice on him, but just, yeah, just uh, a skinny bear and, and an old bear. Oh, wow. So he was getting skinny. He was going downhill. Those bears, they just live longer than deer and elk. So it's it's not unusual. Well, you know, it is unusual to kill a 15-year-old bear because you don't kill that many that are that size. But a lot of times, it takes them eight, nine, ten years to be fully mature. Yep, yep, for sure, for sure. Everything just takes longer, longer life cycle, and um, yeah, it's uh, it was a kind of a weird deal too. I uh, by happenstance, after I wounded him and I killed him, and I I was skinning him, and I cut his intestines. Uh, in half because they're kind of hanging out and just full of worms oh really yeah yeah just worms squiggling out everywhere it's disgusting oh my (laughs) gosh (laughs) that is pretty gross i wonder if that's why he was so skinny is those worms were just taking all his food 
Yeah, no, I bet so. That played a huge role. And like you said, when those animals, they get that old, uh, usually they, they end up getting worms at some point in their life. And so, yeah, they probably, you know, have, all those old bears have worms and they probably, most of them have trichinosis too, for all I know. Man, oh man. Um, well, you did that bear a favor, uh, getting skinny like that. Like he wasn't going to make it through the winter much longer, especially when the food source is so good right now. Exactly, exactly. And you know what, Brian? I think that bear just came out of hibernation. I really do. Uh, just how he was, I don't know, just much on the grass and and he was right below a, just a big avalanche chute and, and snowbank and, and I don't know. The hair was pristine, like he'd just been, you know, in the den all winter and hasn't been rubbing or anything. And this was June, oh, like the tenth, I think, or maybe the twelfth, actually. Ah, wild. So, yeah, I, I sure think that some of these older bears they find the best feed in the fall, and they have they have it all figured out. They have their den sites figured out, and then they they don't come out of their den if they have a good fall. They don't come out of their den until June. Wow. Um, you know, I think you're right. I think just different bears come out at different times depending on the elevation where they den and the food yep. source. And I've definitely seen, you know, bears come out early. But it's yep. also like it takes a while for bear season to get kicking off where you can really count on all the bears being out and on the food source. So, man, I, I think you're right, and especially like that late winter that we had where it kept cold. Uh, I wouldn't want to be out in that, that snow or that rain with not much feed around either, you know? Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. I, but, yeah, I, it just depends on the habitat, I guess, too. Yeah, for sure. I've seen um, or I've heard. I don't know if this is true, but like on their pads – I've heard guys talk about how you can look at their pads and that'll tell you how long they've been outside the den because they'll get hair that grows in between their pads or something and really shows that hair. And once yep. they get out and start walking around, they have it all worn down and worn off. Sure, sure. No, that makes sense too. I, I, I wondered that and the claws, like the, the his claws were like little needles, like perfectly – grown out to the tips i was like was this bear been hibernating for two years or what but... <laughs> <laughs> just been asleep up there in the mountains <laughs> yeah. um so it it got pretty hairy i uh what's wild is is i had the same scenario this year where i had one charge me i had to shoot it with the pistol i was not the best shot i think i shot 10 times i grazed him once and hit him twice <laughs> like it happened quick and you know i've actually had two black bears do this to me the first one i hit with a second arrow as he was coming at me this one i started bringing my pistol just religiously you know and i just owe it to myself and my family and it is black bears are dangerous game and especially when yes. you hit one with an arrow you're so you're in such close proximity that even if you hit him right like he's still got enough energy to get to you you know he's still got enough go to get to you and mine was a situation where I was just positioned downhill from this bear, ran an arrow through him at 28 yards. I couldn't have placed a better arrow on him. I double-lunged him, but he spun in circles, roaring and biting at his arrow. I always, like, every time I always shoot a bear, I go, oh, no, what did I just do? Because they just freak <laughs> out. It's not like shooting a deer and elk. They roar right. like a lion and bite at that arrow. And then I was just downhill in the country, like, really 
like uh, uh, pushed him right towards me, and so he just came down at me, and I had to defend my position. And once I started shooting, it was almost like he locked onto me, like he was coming at me, you know. And uh, I I just kept firing. I threw a lot of lead his way. I never looked at my front sight till after I hit him. <laughs> <laughs> I need a better shot process with my pistol, but. Um, it's a little bit a part of the game with the bow and arrow. It's kind of what me and you like. So you got to tell me the story on this bear, the stock and the shot, and then we'll get into elk hunting. But I, I got to hear about it. So you caught this bear in June. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll try to make it a, a condensed version because it's kind of long-winded. But uh, yeah, you, I, I found him in a slide where you'd expect to find a bear, and I it was 7:30 in the evening. Made a stock up there, just perfect. I mean that bear was handed to me on a platter as as easy as you could ever wanted it uh got got on him uh coming up from below started raining the the wind really started just dumping off the mountain and down the slide uh in my face perfect and i don't know i i got up close and and uh had some wind and i was breathing a, f- a fair amount but not that bad but i just made a poor shot i just hit him like three inches low and uh I knew it when I shot that it wasn't a perfect shot and that it was a little low and maybe a little back. And I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, the the heart is low and back on the brisket. And I, I was just kind of contemplating everything. And I think I, I had an arrow in them shortly after eight o'clock in the evening. And it's dark by nine up there in those deep, big, deep canyons. And so I just pulled out. I, I told my camera guy, I was like, well, we're out of here. We'll come back first thing in the morning and pick up the blood trail and it started raining a little bit and I was a little worried about that but um yeah we got back in there the next day and long story short uh I I was searching for I think I was into it six hours gritting and I found five different beds of where this thing laid down uh there's a pile of blood in each bed there's actually fairly good blood to begin with so I kind of felt I felt better about my shot after seeing all that blood, but it petered out pretty quick. And after the rain and everything, and, and, uh, it got to the point uh, at the end of the afternoon where I was like, I told my camera guy, I was like, well, let's, let's split up. Let's, we're either going to find him dead at this point or he's going to be gone. And so I was like, okay. So I, we had a kind of a rendezvous point down at the bottom of the slide at the bottom of the mountain where I was going to meet up with my camera guy and, and uh, we split up, and not two minutes later, I run into this bear, and I knew it was him right away. And he was in a little avalanche slide that I had already checked three times. I don't know where he came from. He must have been on the other side, but I'm trying to get my camera guy's attention, and I, I couldn't get his attention, but I didn't want to let this bear out of my sight in, in fear that I wouldn't see him again or, or I, I wouldn't be able to... Uh, recover him or, you know, finish off the TV show or whatever. So uh, 75 yards uh, at this point, I was like, well, I just got to get another shot into him. So I hit him at 75, a little far back through the guts. And he just kind of walked up the hill uh, into the brush, a bunch of snowberry and dug fur on this little ridge and kind of the same thing. It was a an approach from, from uh, down the hill and he was on his feet. And so I dropped my backpack and I had my pistol in one hand and my bow in the other hand. And I ran across the avalanche slide and came up from below him. And uh, I expected for him to kind of wander past me about 35, 40 yards and I'd shoot him again and, and, you know, hopefully get the 
the circus over with. And I get up to this hog back and no bear, there's nothing, nothing. And so I'm just looking around and, and I mean, by this time, this bear has been wounded for about 24 hours and, and he was pretty weak. And so I waited there for about a minute and he never came over the rise, never nothing. And so I was like, well, he's got to be up there or he went up the ridge. And so I just started creeping up the hog back. And I, as I'm just creeping up a little more, this is getting exposed a little more. I'm, I can see more. I can see kind of the flat up there. And at 18 yards right in front of me, he's laying down behind uh, a deadfall with a couple logs across it, like a couple trees growing up. And I could see him in the notch of the trees. He's facing away from me, and so I was like, well, I got a little window to shoot through at 18 yards. I'm definitely going to be more accurate with my bow. And so he was kind of – he was laying down, but he was maneuvering and just uncomfortable, I could see. And so I, I shot him quartering away, and uh, I hit him a little high. And he just – like he, like you said, he, he growled and was spinning around, biting at where I just shot him. And I just dropped my bow in front of me and pulled out my pistol. And my phone was in my left pocket. And so I had my, my 45 in my right hand and I'm going to pull out my phone and I'm just watching them, watching them. And I almost get my phone out and I look down to turn it on and I look back up and this is just a split second. And he looks up at me, locks on and just full blown run. Just here he comes. There's no stopping him. So I, I drop my phone. I pull up and Boom, I shoot, and he jumps up over the log. I think I hit him in the leg. There was like a, a random hole in his leg, but he jumps down, and, I mean, that he's coming. Like you say, once once they get locked on you, it doesn't matter how many times you shoot or how scary you be, he's he's coming to eat you. And so I just waited him out. You know, I, if you're, I'm sure you, you've had the same thought process, and you've had these encounters, and so you have over the years, you're, you're thinking about what you would do if a bear charged. And so I already, already knew what to do. And I figured that if I was going to kill this bear, if I was going to have one good opportunity to kill it, it would be, you, you have one shot and it's probably at like seven feet, eight feet to hit him in the forehead, in the brain and, and to kill him. And especially with this little three inch 45 that I had, you're not going to be very accurate with that. So yeah, he, he just, full-blown run down the hill, head down, and I just waited him out. I waited until he was eight feet away, and I pulled up at the 45 and shot. You got about a tennis ball-sized kill zone on his forehead, maybe a little bigger, and he nosedived and did a somersault and flopped down and, and died on top of my bow, and I just stepped out of the way. <laughs> and, and, and there he was dead at my feet just twitching dead on top of my bow like he was cuddling with my bow oh my gosh dan that is wild <laughs> <laughs> um man um yeah well you handled the situation a little bit better than i like waiting for your shot and putting one good shot in him like uh you kept your composure really well and uh you actually looked at your sights yeah. Yeah. No, I, I waited him out and it was weird because, you know, in reality, it's just a second or two, but it seemed like everything happened in slow motion and he, he had his fate, his eyes down, like his nose down. And so I just had this, all this real estate, I feel like to shoot him in the forehead. And when he's coming just straight at me, it's almost like it's a stationary target because he's not moving laterally. He's just right at you. And so, yeah, I just like stared down the spot 
and I waited for him six, seven, eight feet. Boom, dead. Man, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't even get time to think about it, do you? It's all reactionary, right? And yes. so, like, you're you're just um, your instincts kind of take over. You don't think. You're not nervous or anything, or you do think, but it, everything's happening so quick that you're just reacting. You make yep. that shot, and he lands on your bow. And then, how bad did you start shaking? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really shake at all. Uh, at, at the, no, I, I, I lied. I, I did shake a little bit and I was just like, you know, more of just like in shock, like what just happened, you know? And, uh, you know, I was yelling for my camera guy by that time he had heard me, obviously heard me shooting and he was already coming, but, uh, yeah, I didn't really, it didn't really soak into later that night. You know, I'm talking to my dad or friends or whatever. And they're like, Oh, did you, you know, buck fever? Did you get nervous? And I was like, ah, oh, not really. Like it was, it was kind of cool. i I know it um it didn't stop me from bear hunting or scare me to have a close encounter like that like it just felt like um well that's bear hunting that's dangerous game i i handled the situation you know i need a better shot process i would wish i would have shot a little bit better but i did get some lead into him and stopped the charge and i did my job so yeah when i got done like i was just all psyched with the encounter and harvesting a bear and it didn't really set in like I'm like I'm super dangerous or reckless or anything. Like it just felt like I was in the woods reacting to the situation that came my way, and that's just what happened. And I handled it, and it was a done deal. I was still excited, but it doesn't it doesn't stop me from bear hunting at all. If anything, it lights the fire to bear hunt a little <laughs> bit more. So yeah. I think we definitely um, are cut from the same cloth. Um, but yeah, good reactions, man. Uh, what an exciting hunt! There isn't a, a more exciting way to end a hunt. That's for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, ideally, you know, you don't want to have a situation like that and put yourself in a dangerous situation. And uh, yeah, man, sometimes that happens. And heck, if you're out there long enough, uh, man, y- you know, I mean, it, it happens eventually. Yeah, especially with a bow and arrow and these bears, and and me and you are such bow guys that we love the craft of bow hunting. We love getting close, even on bears. Like it'd be way easier to kill a giant bear with a rifle. You just have to see less of them, and you got more range. But there's something so exciting and so thrilling about trying to get close. But when you get close and put an arrow in them, buckle up. Like you're in for a rodeo. And most <laughs> of the time they'll go away from you. But boy, if they start in your direction. And then like I had another one that I had to hit with an, a second arrow where I wasn't carrying my pistol. And I, I made that shot and it was a little bit back like liver. And he disappeared down below me and then I couldn't hear him running anymore. So I knew he was right below me, but there was a big tree in my way. Knocked another arrow and a few seconds later he's running up by me. He doesn't even know I'm there. He's just running to go die or go be wounded. And I huffed at him. Never huff at a bear that's running towards you. Then he pinned his ears and walked onto me, and I barely got my bow back. And I always thought I'd shoot a bear in the chest, but they sit so low to the ground when they're charging. So just like you said, with their nose down and their all forehead and back right there, like yep. I, I was able to put that arrow and put it behind his head, through his neck, down through his vitals, and he turned and rolled. So that's the that's the second one that's charged me out of I you know the six or seven that I've killed with my bow. So wow. you know. I'd say it's like probably around a 25% chance that you hit one with a bow on the ground spot and stock. Like that thing can come at you. Yep. Yep. For sure. Oh. So what, hap- what happened with yours this year then? You, you 
got some shots on him and he just ran off and died or um so that was that one so snuck up uh put a good arrow in him and then came my direction and same thing i i had the pistol in one hand and my bow in the other hand i drew my pistol after i put an arrow in him he's spinning and roaring at the arrow i dropped my bow so i could get two hands on my pistol and right at that time he comes right over the hill running right at me and so yeah i started backing up throwing lead and then hit him and knocked him down once and then hit him again and killed him right there so yeah i killed him right in front of me at about same as you like six ten feet or maybe even a little wow. bit farther than yours because i was wow. backing up as i went but yeah i mean it was it was a close encounter inside 10 yards where i hit him and where he died wow wow yeah yeah. yeah. Um, and he was hit pretty bad, and I could see blood coming from his nose from the arrow. So I know I got both lungs. I know he was hurt pretty bad. Um, but boy, he got, uh, uh, you know, when he was coming at me, it sure felt like full speed. It was like I hadn't even ran an arrow through him. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. That's why I, I was like shocked that this bear had all the energy that he had, just a full blown charge, so much power in him. Wow. Oh, that's wild. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, well, I really wanted to get you on to talk elk hunting, but I had to hear your bear story. That is so wild, Dan. Way to keep your composure, make a good shot, harvest a good bear. Man, that's as exciting as it gets. But I really want to talk about um, elk hunting as, as me and you kind of have a different tactic for elk. So there's a lot out there on, on calling bulls, and it's – it's really effective, but as you get into some of these high-pressure elk, and I find, like, as you get into some of these older herd bulls, like, you have to catch those bulls at the exact right mood or the exact right temperament to be able to call them in. And that may only happen one or two times during the season, but when you go at these elk and you really try to go at them silently, not let them know you're there and spot and stalk them, man, is it efficient for these these herd bulls is what I've found. And I, I know you hunt them that same way, right? That's that's yep. what you believe in, the spot and stock style for these elk? Yeah, yeah. I just hate to you know, find a bull elk and he, you can't call him in or he's not responsive. And so if you're relying 100% on calling, you have to go find another bull and find one that wants to play. And so, you know, these guys that are calling these bulls in, they're, they're covering a ton of country and finding bulls that are receptive and willing to come in. And, and that's great. That's definitely an effective tactic, but I just hate walking past bulls to find bulls, you know? And so, so yeah, no, I, I liked if, if there's a, a bull, uh, that isn't receptive to calling, I'm going to stalk them just like I would a mule deer or an axis buck or anything. Well, and it's good to have all the tools in your toolbox, as I know you do, as you know how to bugle and know how to cow call. But over the years, like you say, these bigger herd bulls, I just find that I was calling in a lot of satellite bulls. And I yeah. was looking, you know, I'm always looking for a mature six point, but the bull I really want to kill is the giant herd bull with all the cows. Those bulls, they just get educated on public land without a, you know, a special tag or deep in the wilderness or catching that bull in the right mood. Like they just don't call in that easy. And so for me to not let let that bull know I'm I'm even in the area and then just to be able to move around them, like you say, and, and it's a little bit different stalking techniques. You know, you there. 
they're not quite as switched on as, say, an axis deer, but there's always more eyes. There's always a bunch of cows. You hardly ever find a bull solo to stalk. And so, you know, you may have 20, 30 eyes that are watching you as you're stalking. And so for me, I like to like um, – I treat it a little bit different as I almost like coyote or shadow the herd for a while until I see my opportunity to close in. Do you do the same thing? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It, it depends on the situation and everything, but yeah, that's that's what you got to do is is uh, just shadow them and uh, wait for your opportunity to to strike. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, on elk, it's it's a moving stock, and so elk are always moving, and they're moving from feeding to bedding, but they just love to cover miles in elevation, and so you know a lot of times when you catch these elk. You don't catch them just bedded or just hanging out in a spot. Like, they're usually moving. Sometimes you catch them feeding, you know, mornings and evenings. But even as they're feeding, they're just moving through meadows and moving to different locations. So I find it's like um, a moving stock. And so for me, I like like a, a lightweight pack that really cinches good to my back that I don't have to take off to stock. I also – I don't take off my shoes to stock because inevitably what happens is, is I'll take off my shoes. I'll make a stock. The elk will keep moving, and then I have a decision to either go miles in my socks or in my stocking <laughs> shoes or to go back and get my shoes like every time. And so I like to just stock in like like running shoes or really lightweight, nimble where I can feel the ground, and then yep. I like to leave my pack on. Do you do the same thing when you're hunting them? Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. And especially with elk, they're kind of unlike anything else you'll hunt when you're using a tactic uh, like that with, with stocking. So yeah, light pack, um, tennis shoe type shoe, or some of these companies make lightweight hikers. You know, the Zamberlins uh, of last year uh, were, were really good. Uh, I just go as light a shoe as possible. And uh, yeah, like you say, you only make that mistake once where you take off your shoes when you're stocking elk and then you have to decide on how far you want to go in your socks. <laughs> right? Uh, oh, those Zamberlins are making some good boots. I just got the new ones this year. So I um, I was running those um, Urine 252s last year. I just love yeah. them. They felt yeah. like a tennis shoe. And then I, I heard they discontinued them and I was like, oh, no, I love those boots. But I got the new ones. Man, are they making a good boot. It's just the perfect combination of lightweight, flexibility, and it's got like a little bit of stiffness to it for backpacking and side hilling and things. I think they're making the perfect boot. Yeah, no, I was actually, like you said, slightly disappointed that they're not making the urine anymore. Uh, but, man, uh, the boot that they came out uh, with this year, like you say, I, I think it's even better. It's a, it's a one-piece design. Uh, it's just going to hold together better. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be great. It's like the the Trail Light Evo is what it is. Yeah, the three twenty Trail yeah. Light Evo GTX like yeah. comes in right around two pounds. You know, a low height hiking boot, and it's always like everybody has personal preference on stiffness and and what yep. they like. But yeah, they seem to be like a really good fit for me too. I really like yep. them. Yep, yep, and it's just it's just better. It's a one piece leather design, so it's less points of failure and less places for water to get in. So I'm excited to use them this year. It's definitely going to be an upgrade. Yeah, but I'm with you. So never take off your shoes. Never take off your pack. And there is a situation for doing that. Like sometimes I'll shadow an elk herd, and it seems like um so. 
hunting elk is a moving stock, but one of my best tactics is to find them in the morning, shadow the herd, and it seems like once they get to their bedding grounds, they really start mingling around and feeding again, you know, and they they really, you know, they stop traveling the miles of distance, and it's almost like they're hanging out, getting ready to bed. That's such a great time to move in on a bull, and then sometimes you'll even bed them down, and I don't like to go into them. You know, most of the time I won't go in on them in the thick timber unless I know exactly where they're at, unless I can see a couple bodies or see that bull bedded. I really know their exact position. And and, and then and only then, you know, sometimes I'll take off my shoes because it's like the afternoon, all the elk are bedded, they're really paying attention to noise, and I know the elk aren't traveling and I really want to take my time and move in. Um, have you ever ran into those situations where you will like go in quieter, take off your pack and shoes or? Yeah. Yeah. No, I have in those same situations. I was thinking of, you know, scenarios like that in the past that I've encountered and, and absolutely I've shadowed herds until they're staging to start laying down, if you will. And that's, that's a, a great time to get in close and to really, you know, shed some gear and, and move in quietly. And sometimes it's hard to know when, when that's going to be because, man, I've followed herds all morning and, and they finally don't start laying down until, you know, 1030 or 11 o'clock after they've covered two miles from their feeding area. So, it's yeah, it's kind of hard to gauge, but just experience helps with that. And, and, and yeah, I've, I've, I've done that and killed a couple bulls in their bedding area and, Luckily, with during the rut, you know, most of the cows will lay down first and then the herd bull, he'll he'll go around and check the cows. And that's a perfect scenario for me for stocking a herd of elk. Um, thinking back two years ago, I did that. It was like a, a 350 bull, maybe a 340 bull, a really nice big six point. But he had 35 cows or so and, and he everybody was laid down in a in a ponderosa patch is like thick ponderosa uh, short ones and he was the only elk on his feet just cruising around and checking cows and so man i think i got within 50 yards of the closest cow and, and that's all you can ask of yourself when you're stalking a herd of elk you get within 50 yards it's just a matter of time before he wanders around and checks the cows and makes a mistake and, and presents you with a shot and, you know, sometimes the wind can get you like what happened in that scenario. But, uh, yeah, that's I, I love that tactic right there, Brian, for sure. Yeah. Isn't that it? No, no matter like when they're when they're bedding down or even if when you're stalking elk, that's what you try to do is just put yourself in range of the cows and then let that bull just wander around. Them. And and a lot of times that bull will stay on the other side of the herd. And I. You know, but eventually he just he works around and checks those different cows. So that's exactly right. Is I stalk in, not looking to get a shot on the bull exactly. Like I mean, that is my end goal. But I'm just looking to put myself in range of those cows and then let the situation develop and see what he does. And even, you know, you talk about the cows laying down first and the bulls checking his cows. 
that bull will get up throughout the day and check those cows too. If you can just get yourself in range or get yourself close, like that bull will get up periodically and check those cows. And, and sometimes he even gets fired up. I've had him middle of the day, 12 o'clock, him totally walk away from the herd and go find a wallow a mile away and then return to the cows. So a lot of times these bulls will get fired up in the middle of the day, start bugling and rutting around, go hit a wallow, go find water, you know, work around his cows, look for more cows. Like I find they're fairly active in the middle of the day or can be during the rut. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. Same here. And if they're not going to a wall, they'll at least be up on their feet, uh, checking cows and whatnot. Yeah. It's, it's just a matter of patience and knowing that, I guess, because if you're just starting out elk hunting or, or, uh, haven't had many encounters with scenarios like that, uh, your patience is, is the virtue and is your best friend on most elk situations when you're stalking a herd. Yeah, the longer you can play the game, the more chance you have of something happening or that bull working into you. So I'm the same way. I like to play yep. really patiently and play the game. And so so there's that tactic of shadowing the herd, trying to, to get them to where they're, they're betting zone and trying to make a play then. And winds are definitely a big challenge in the mountains. Another thing I like to do – is um like try to get in front of the herd um those elk are always moving a lot of times you can see them a ways off and not go right for the herd but try to get in front of them or get to a ridge or get to a saddle in front of them like try to be where the herd's moving to instead of chasing the herd yep yep absolutely and it's hard to to know that when you hunt an area for the first time but i think that's your biggest advantage if you can hunt an area year after year because you'll start to see areas where they like to bed and, and where they like to feed. And so you know where they're going in, in the mornings and then you place yourself in those advantageous positions uh, first thing in the morning to catch them when, when they're, they're going to bed like that. So yeah, one of the, the biggest advantage advantages to me to spot and stock elk hunting is hunting the same year area year after year if you can oh you're so right you just you learn where to look for elk and where elk like to hang out and they're nomadic by nature you can go into a drainage that was really good last year and all of a yeah. sudden there's no elk in there as it's timing they were there before after you know and so um but you're right when you're in an area and you know an area and you know where they like to feed and they like to bed like um yeah you just you you have such an advantage over going into an area and trying to figure it out for the first time. Yeah, yeah, and that's like like you said, you don't want to be chasing a herd in in all practical reality. You you want to be cutting them off. You want to be in front of them, and I've done that. Just maybe I was thinking about my 2017 Wyoming bull. I, I got on a herd and there were so many cows that I, I just couldn't get close. And there was one herd bull and I kind of got a feeling for the direction that they were moving because I knew where they wanted to go eventually, even though they were way up on the mountain. And then, yeah, I, I had the terrain. Luckily they were feeding slow enough, but I just ran around and, and got in front of them and they all fed right past me and I shot the herd bull, got lucky a little bit, but 
But yeah, if you can cut them off, that's kind of the ace in the hole as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, a little a little luck never hurts either. It's always yeah. nice when it goes your way. There's yeah. so many like unlucky or bad luck, the, so many bad luck situations that happen when elk hunting. You're like, wow, man, why did that wind have to swirl? Or why did that cow have to come over the ridge right where I was staying? Or whatever the case is. So when you get a little luck that goes your way, that always helps. Absolutely. You got to take it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A, a lot of it is left up to luck. If, if I don't know, lack of better terms, but funny things happened last year. I was stalking a herd and this bull pushed a cow up past me at 17 yards. And this bull had been going nonstop for 45 minutes. And the one spot that he stopped to take a break was right in front of me with a tree over his vitals. And he stood there for two minutes while I was at full draw. And I mean, what are the odds of that? Come on, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> and I never killed that bull. Just, uh, he, yeah, he just stopped in just the wrong spot. And I was at full draw for two minutes and his cows fed t- towards me and they were, they had me pinned at eight yards and I eventually had to let down. So, um, they- man. They have such a knack for making the right move, stopping with trees in their vitals, um, and, and they're tough to get to stop too. When they're chasing a cow around, they're so engaged in what they're doing that they'll they'll walk or they'll run right through your opening that you were going to shoot through, you know. And sometimes you make your like sometimes I'll try to cow call just with my mouth, just say ew, and try to get them to stop in my opening, but. Yep. But that can work against you, too, as now all the elk know where you're at or are keyed into you, you know. So it's just tough. I think the best case is to wait for that shot. But sometimes those bulls just don't stop moving or don't give you that window. Like it's one thing to get in range of a bull or get in range of elk. It's another thing of getting a good, clean shot off. Those things, um, they just have a knack for making the right moves. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, another thing, or I'd say – when I've killed the majority of my bulls, I'll say. So I love hunting mornings, um, but what I, I I am really effective hunting in the evening. I love that last light play on elk. And so sometimes I'll see these elk. Like I, I really like when I'm spotting and stalking, I like to hunt elk in their feeding features. I like to hunt them in the open meadows where I can be moving through the timber but keep an eye on these elk. And I'll, I'll follow them into the timber or cut them off in the timber you know, of course, some of your hunting has to has to take place in the sparse timber and things, but I love to catch them in the feeding features. So one of my go-to moves is to just watch those elk, and a lot of times you see these elk miles off, and and I'll watch them, and I'll even watch them put away and try to get the timber patch that they're in and, and just keep eyes on them. And then what I try to do is I try to play them in the evening where they're going to come out and feed. So I try to get a, a vantage point back off and away from the elk where my my scent isn't in there. But I'm just getting a vantage point to kind of watch them come out into this meadow. And so um, I, I usually – like there's a better chance that the elk will come out in the same meadow – then a different meadow, you never quite know what elk are going to do. But as I watch them feed a meadow in the morning, a lot of times I'm going to play that meadow in the evening. Now, it doesn't always work. Like I'd, I'd say it isn't even 51%. It's like maybe half the time they come out in that same meadow. But that's usually my best bet is to play them in that feeding feature. And so I'll grab a vantage point, and then I just love when they come out in the evening, they start filtering out, and they're feeding out into this meadow. 
now they're a place where I can play ball. And in the evening, those shadows start getting long, and I get that downhill thermal, that yep. steady wind, just like you had on your bear, just like I had on my bear. Like that evening play, all of a sudden you can eliminate the wind factor, which is giant in the mountains, and then make my play on them in that low light and that last light in the evening. Man, I've killed a lot of bulls in the evening that way. I love to to play that tactic. Do you ever play that that last light move on those elk? Yep, yeah. Perfect example was last year, general tag in Wyoming, and I, I spotted two six points, and they were probably a mile and a half, maybe two miles away, way over there across the drainage, <clears throat> other side, and I, I saw the general area where they went to bed, and it was super thick, aspens and snowberry brush, uh, really thick country to and just noisy country to move around in. And so I kind of got everything pinpointed as best as I could on where the elk probably were and where I needed to be. And they were pretty active. The bull was bugling. I could see him over there. And, uh, you know, that was at first light. So I, I was in position by four or five o'clock that afternoon. And I was just kind of on a vantage point, maybe four to 600 yards away from where I thought the herd was. And it was really windy. And once again, super thick, so I didn't have eyes on them. And, you know, they got up, and you could tell. You could tell by the progression of the bugles from that bull where, you know, he'd start off with a bugle every, oh, four or five minutes. And I'm like, okay, so he's over there, so I'm getting getting things kind of pinpointed. And then all of a sudden, he's bugling every minute or maybe every 30 seconds. So I'm like, okay, so they're probably on the move. And sure enough, I mean, I just stayed put and I was just listening, listening, listening. And this bull was pushing his cows to me, to a little meadow that I had set up on. And I was like, this is a little periphery meadow to the, uh, the, the main park where they were feeding. And so I was like, this is perfect. It's still early. It's 530. This is a little patch of feed, this little tiny hillside that it's a perfect staging area for them to hit and to start feeding before they head out to the main meadow, probably at dark. And so by that tactic right there, Brian, I, I put myself in the right situation and they popped right out at that park. And once they got to that park, that bull just shut up and he started feeding with his four cows. And I just slipped in on them. I just worked into the edge of the meadow, got to the, the bottom of the hill it was the shady side of the mountain. So thermals had started probably about six o'clock by now. And, uh, yeah, I, I waited him out, but his cows kind of fed off and, and he did not bugle. He was kind of locked in and it was so thick. I just knew he had to be in there somewhere. So I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. And then at 50 yards, he just lights up. His, his cows are like fed to the far side of the meadow and he lights up. He's been 50 yards from me for 45 minutes and I didn't know it. And but but I, I had his exit route covered. I could kill him anywhere he left that park. And so I just believed that he was there. I was like, there's no way he would have like gone over the hill or gone over the other side. That's what I was thinking in my mind anyway. There's no way he would have left these cows because he was super aggressive. And sure enough, he got up and he fed and he and he walked right through uh, one of my shooting lanes that I all already had rehearsed on one of the cows and. I already had the program down, so it was just robot mode. He walked through, I drew back, had my range, pinwheeled him. And that that's a good example right there of just playing that that feeding area 
in the evening and it worked perfectly perfectly played um so much of it are the little nuances the the moves and letting your instincts take over like uh you know sitting there for 45 minutes knowing that bull was there and like you say you have you you start to second guess yourself like maybe he left maybe he's over there maybe i should go up and go get into him but to trust your instincts and stay patient and know that you had that bull cornered it's the whole reason why you killed that bull but so much of it is about those little moves you make once you're inside range or once you're getting close. Yep, yeah, that's that's the only reason I killed that bull is is that patience and and I wanted to move. I I wanted to go try to find him, but I was just like, man, if I'm crunching around in this stuff and they they're, they're going to hear me number one, I would have to take off my boots and odds are I'm go- going to spook them. And what worst case scenario tonight, I stay put and that bull isn't here. Number one, I, I don't spook them, right? They're, they're feeding away, so I don't spook them, call it a night. I'm not blowing these elk out of the country. I'm probably going to have a play the next morning. And so th- that's that's the upside. The downside would be, yeah, you don't get your bull that night. But, yeah, you force something, you blow them out, and then you're starting from scraps the next day. So that's huge as well. Oh, great decision making. Yeah, when elk relocate, they don't relocate a drainage over it. Like they they go miles. They are so yeah. tough to find after they're spooked. And and you're right, like with all those eyes and all those cows, like you know, they're they're not as there's not as wiry as some of the other species, but they, they catch movement really well. And so like as you're trying to move in and there's twenty cows and a bull you just can't force the issue. They just catch you, especially like through that timber and things. They just catch a little bit of movement, and all of a sudden, before you know it, you're busted. So you're right. You really got to play them tentatively. But I think that's the beauty of elk hunting. Like you got to go get into elk to go kill one, and then once you're into elk, it's all based on your decision-making process. It's all based on your instincts and experience and the moves you make, and, and that's the whole beauty of it. That's why I love elk hunting or love getting into them, and when it comes together, there's just uh, there's nothing better. Yeah, no, there's no better feeling, and like you say, you can't really – you can't say that every situation is going to be like that when they, they hit a park like that. Every situation is different. So you can't tell a beginner or somebody that's just started elk hunting that this is how you do it because yeah, it may have worked that time and it may work, you know, four years later, but it's not necessarily going to work every time. And, and yeah, no, that's, I was talking to a, a buddy the other day and this is kind of a quick rabbit trail, but uh, the, the engine that I built for my duster, uh, I rebuilt a 360 and you have all this time, all this effort and all this hard work and like reading and studying and you're putting this engine together and then it comes down to the moment of truth when you turn the key to fire it up. It's like killing something with your bow, like killing an elk with your bow, the, the sense of satisfaction, the sense of that, man, I earned this. I worked so hard for this opportunity. I worked so hard for this. And it worked. It's like that's kind of the, the feeling that you live for. Man, that's it. Well, and, um, you know, spot and stalking these elk, like, um, you know, guys really like to call. And I think they like to call because it's exciting. It's, um, you know, you're you're working through the woods. And even if you don't see an elk, if you get an elk to answer you, like you're engaging with an elk back and forth. And all of a sudden you're chasing that elk. You have excitement for that morning. And you may not catch up with that bull, but you're interacting back and forth. And hearing that bugle and that rut is so exciting. And so 
I think guys don't want to lose that connection with those elk, that, that, that that's how they know how to elk hunt and that back and forth and talking to them. I, I mean, it is one of the most exciting, thrilling ways to hunt elk. That There's no doubt about it. When you call in a bull and he's fired up and bugles and comes in, like like there's nothing better. But I still get that same excitement, that same thrill. I'm still engaged in the rut in these bulls. Just like that bull of yours when you heard him getting up and you heard him bugling, and all of a sudden he's bugling every 30 seconds, and you know he's moving his cows, and he's knows you know that he's coming towards this meadow. You also know that he has no idea you're even in the country. It's just yep. elk being elk at that point. But I, I think there's a – like um, guys get hooked on that little bit of adrenaline rush that you get talking back and forth to these bulls. And a lot of times you're talking back and forth to this bull. You're just letting him know you're there. A lot of times he's just grabbing his cows and working away from you. I, I've seen it. You know, time and time again, where the first sound you make, whether it's a cow call or a bugle, the bull knows that the gig's up, and he's starting to gather up these cows, and they're starting to move away from you. And you may not know it, but you're bugling back and forth to this bull, and you're chasing him through these drainages and these timber. The whole time, he's just trying to get away from you, get his cows away from you. But that spot and stock game, hunting elk during the rut... I mean, to me, it is just as exciting. Like, I, I can hear 300 bugles in a night. I never made a peep, but these bulls are fired up back and forth, and they're fighting, and they're working their cows. You actually get more time to observe the elk in their natural their na- natural state of the rut or that, that natural environment where they're not spooked. They're not trying to move away from you. They're just trying to, to breed and rut and be elk. Like to me, it's just as exciting. Do you do you find that same thing, Dan? Yeah, no, for sure, absolutely. I find like calling in an elk and having that experience, which I've had before, it's a very small portion of what elk hunting really is and what it takes to to be really successful as an elk hunter. It's just a very small portion. Uh, calling one in with you know bugling one or, or cow calling one because it it rarely happens like that you got to catch them in the right scenario and and whether or not you're in a really limited area or a private ranch or you catch a bull on the right day you know it's possible but more times than not uh it's the exception and not the rule uh when you're hunting public land and, and of, of calling them in and so uh, yeah, man, you, you learn a lot too, when you're not interacting with them. So like what you're, you're describing when bulls are bugling at each other and they probably both have their cows and, and they're really non-confrontational. Like most animals are during the rut. They only fight if they have to, or a bear only charges you if he has to. It's, it doesn't happen every time. It, it happens a fraction of the time. And that's the same with calling a bull in a, a confrontational bull in uh, it, it just doesn't happen and, and they they bugle a ton at each other is, is probably just a, a posturing uh, stance that that they do uh, and they they don't actually bugle and, and come fight each other come in to each other in scenarios like that so yeah it gives you that opportunity to just observe that and if you do have that opportunity, to, to see all that bugling like that. Yeah, that, that's what they're doing is they're just communicating. Hey, hey, dude, I have my cows over here. You have your cows over there. We're both happy. Keep your distance. And I think that's mostly what that is. And like you say, you get too aggressive and you call at them, bugle at them and, and press them. 95% of the time, if that bull has cows, he's out of there. He's, he's taking his cows and he's 
off into another country avoiding a confrontation. Yeah, that's exactly what I find too, that they're talking to their cows a lot. They're talking to other bulls and they're sounding off. That's part of their rut. But they're not looking to kill and fight every bull that comes their way. Like you say, they, they'd avoid it if they can and just take their cows to a different area. And there is those times of the year where they sort it out and sort out their cows and, and bulls will fight for cows. But the majority of the time, they know what the bigger, more mature bull is. They know what the her, who the herd bull is and that he has those cows. And then the satellite's job is to try to steal some of those cows away and work and i actually you get so many great opportunities when you're spotting and stalking elk like working a herd it's amazing those satellite bulls they, they just hang around the the perimeter you know a couple hundred yards away and and kind of coming in and out of the herd so a lot of times when you put yourself close you may have only seen the herd and that herd bull but there could be two or three other six points around there that are just hanging close by the herd trying to, to to gather up some of the random cows or steal a cow. So a lot of times you're stalking that herd, and all of a sudden here's a bull, and he's walking right into you, and it's not even the bull you were hunting. I find that a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times when guys are bugling in bulls, that's that's the scenario. They got a satellite bull that is looking for cows, uh, for, for cows to steal or the opportunity to – you know, sneak in and breed one while the herd bulls busy breeding another cow or, or whatever. And those, those bulls are usually uh, more willing to play than, than a bull with a bunch of cows already. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say it too. I, I've killed a lot of satellite bulls over the years too, just because it's easier. It's the opportunity that is in front of your face first. So you're going to take it, especially when you're hunting public land. Yeah, that's absolutely it. Um, Man, it it sure is fun to to be able to to move around these things and just I just like uh, uh moving around and not letting them know I'm there. Like getting into a really good elk drainage and just um nothing's blown up. Nothing knows there's a human hunting them. They're just in there rutting and you just get to play ball with them and I'll take my chances that way and I really believe that spot and stalking elk like you're able to target those bigger more mature bulls. And yeah, sometimes there's a a nice satellite six that works in front of you or by yourself that I just can't resist or whatever. But most of the time I'm trying to kill that big herd bull, you know, and I think when you're spotting and stalking, you're really focusing on the biggest bulls on the mountain, the, the most mature bulls, the ones with the cows. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so without a doubt, yeah. without a doubt. Well, um, uh, I know you're an absolute elk fanatic like I am. Uh, what do you have coming up this year? What tags have you drawn? Well, I did draw Wyoming. Uh, so I'm pretty pumped about that. It's uh, a, a good tag. Yeah, it is. It is good for you. Yeah, it's an area that has genetics, and so yeah, a good chance that uh, big bull is just as good as anywhere in the country. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I do have a Montana general this year. Um, I'll probably be actually hunting somewhere um, around Bozeman uh, this year. Got some friends over there. So I'll be in Montana this year a little bit later, and I drew a Wyoming antelope, and uh, still waiting on Montana antelope, and of course Wyoming general deer, and that's about it. I didn't draw anything else, uh, any anywhere else as far as limited entry goes. So, yeah, one one draw tag, and the rest generals. 
Yep. Um, well, you know where your energy is going to be spent, and um, those general tags are nothing new to you. That's that's what I've got a bunch of this year too. I did draw a Montana special tag, but it was you know an easier bow tag to draw, and then um, yeah, going to go hunt Idaho over the counter and go chase some elk down there. And um, man, I'm just super excited. I cannot wait for elk season. I just did a scouting trip oh, a handful of days ago. Um, working some mountains and looking at some different vantage points and a, a different place to go hunt out. So, man, I'm super excited to cut these legs loose and get after these bulls. Nice. Yeah, me too. That's, that's what I, you know, I love all types of bow hunting. I love mule deer hunting, but when it comes to September, I don't, I don't think it can be beat as far as, uh, something to bow hunt is elk with a bow in September. That's what life's all about to me. <laughs> yeah, man. Isn't it like, um, yeah. I, I love muleys. I love hunting everything with my bow, and and I hate to even pick a side, whether it's muleys or elk, because I right. love both of them so much. But you're right. Come September, there is nothing better than hunting elk. They are so large. You know, antlers that stick five feet over their head, the the bugle, the rut. It's the most thrilling, exciting hunting out there. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, I cut my teeth hunting elk and been hunting them for you know over 20 years now, and, and every year I get more and more fun fired up to chase them and they there's just absolutely nothing like it and they are so difficult a big mature six point on public land is so difficult especially like these general season tags and and you make it look easy year after year killing a nice six point but man it isn't it, it is tough out there so yeah i'm just ready to start the grind and start putting in the miles and chasing these things around see if a guy can earn an opportunity yeah man that's what it's all about and it, it never gets old that's for sure yeah. Um, well, Dan, thanks as always, man, for being on the podcast. I just love talking to you. I love getting fired up about elk. So I'll be looking at my maps as soon as I get off this call looking for where I'm going to head. But, yeah, thanks so much, man, and congratulations on that bear. Um, way to keep your keep your cool in that that uh, moment of, of intense, like a, like the adrenaline had to be off the charts. But congratulations on that bear and your elk tags this year, man. I can't wait to see what you turn up. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. The same same to you. I'll be following you too, and I'm sure you'll have a, another good year as well. Yeah, well, and if you get some time in Montana, I'll be around the Ennis area. You said you're around that Bozeman area. Give me a shot. I got um, my Hawaii buddies are going to come up this year. I'm not sure what dates you're thinking about coming up, but oh, uh, nice. make sure to shoot me a line when you're coming down. Maybe we can hook up for a day or two of hunting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Probably second half of September for me. So yeah, I'll, I'll be in touch. Cool. Yeah, I'll be around. So um, yeah, give me a shout. We'll talk soon. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Brian. All right, bye. Bye. All right, that's a wrap. Oh, I really appreciate Dan coming back on. Um, yeah, just, you know, it, it's good to know all the different techniques and tactics and have all of those available in your toolbox when you're elk hunting. So calling is super effective, and a lot of big bulls get killed calling. But um, this just gives you another option and another way to move. And I think, too knowing how to move with elk, it only helps your calling game. Knowing, you know, getting to the right spots and reading where they're moving to and their behavior, you know, if you do like calling, it, it only it, it only enhances that. So anyways, uh, thanks to Dan for being on. Uh, great guest, great friend. Uh, yeah, I just can't wait to see what Dan turns up this year. He's just a great bow hunter. So thanks again to him. Thanks again to our sponsors. Thanks Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, they just run, run a great operation, uh, staff full of knowledgeable people uh, with, with all the best name brands in there that you can touch, feel, 
look through, try on. So uh, make sure to check them out. Taito knives, just my favorite lightweight, ultra sharp knife. Um, I just love this replaceable blade knife, you know, to be able to process these game animals and then to only have just a handful of ounces, you know, for your knife and your blades and everything. It's just absolutely amazing. It's changed the game for me. Uh, and also the longer blade ones, um, I, I really like those ones as well for slicing jerky real thin. And uh, so so I've been using those as well. So thanks to Taito Knives. And I think I finally got it all finished up. I'm out of here. So it'll be a couple weeks. Going to go hunt uh, Colorado. Going to go hunt Wyoming. And uh, got all my stuff done. Everything taken care of. It's always so tough to get out of the house when you're trying to leave. And anymore, I try not to get stressed out. And I try to start early, get packed, and uh, just take care of everything I can take care of. And if I can't, it seems like there's always something that comes up or some meeting you need to get to. And I just tell people I'm going to be gone anymore. You know, I used to stress out about it, but... I'll just take care of it and get it done. And so we had the Three Rivers guy over here today, and he was up in the internet. I don't know why. My internet's just slow for where I'm at, but they were able to, oh, I don't know, put in a new modem that they could run off. To ch- I'm, it's getting way, it's already over my head, but they're just getting me quicker internet and a bigger broadband, I believe. So it'll be better all the way around. Uh, it takes it takes so long to load up these podcasts. Finally, I can load them up quickly. So anyways, we're redoing that, and I'm helping them out here and there. And so he goes outside to make the adjustments in the box, and I got a wasp nest in the box. So, you know, down to the hardware store, get some wasp spray and throw on my jacket and go out there and spray those things off, you know. And then and then they're just still swarming around, still spraying them, and they're starting to get pretty thick. And then I notice there's another nest above on the soffit. Like, I, I don't have a rundown house, you guys. Like, I keep it really nice. But these things, it must just be the time of year. Like, I hadn't even seen that nest. I shoot my bow out there all the time, but... It's just always something when you're trying to leave. So we got the wasp taken care of, got the internet taken care of, got this podcast taken care of. Uh, I'm going to do a live one, or not a live one, but I'm going to do a recording tonight uh, with Cody Rich and um, and Ryan Lampers. We're going to go do it in Cody Rich's uh, new studio in Bozeman. So really excited for that. Going to drive up there here. Oh gosh, I got to leave here in about a half an hour. So I better get this thing loaded up and released out to you guys. I am so fortunate. Get to go bow hunting like I do. It's that time of year. I know you guys have your hunts that you're on right now, that you've been on, the hunts that you're looking forward to. Man, hunt safe, hunt hard, and uh, enjoy the process. So uh, I love you guys. Thanks for all the support on the podcast, the social media um, make sure to send me your, your photos when you're successful this season. Um, I'd love to see it. And, uh, also we've got another one coming up on, um, I have a uh, Todd Helms back on, uh, about articles and photos and support photos. It's a great one. It's coming up. Be on the lookout for that. But yeah, um, you know, if you, if you harvest a good animal this year, make sure you take photos and remember it. Uh, that's all I got. I'm out of here. So we'll check in with you guys in a couple weeks.